0: From the relieffactor.com studios, I am Hugh Hewitt, and I have a special guest today. He's usually my guest on Fridays in the last radio hour of the week with a Hillsdale dialogue. But today I'm starting the week with a Hillsdale dialogue and Dr. Larry Arn because we are eight days from a crucial election, and we are on the other side of a terrible massacre in Pittsburgh, and of a deranged bomber in Florida, and a incendiary rhetoric across the spectrum. And I thought some history would be useful here. Dr. Larry Arn. good morning, and thank you for doing a double dip this week.
1: Uh, Good morning. How are you, Hugh?
0: I'm good. I want to begin by asking you to put uh, what the know-nothing movement in context is, because last night I saw a lot of people online saying that Donald Trump is leading the modern know-nothings, which is simply not historically correct. And I knew I could turn to you for some uh, explanation of what the know-nothings were
1: uh well so 19th century political movement uh they didn't they thought that uh Jews and Catholics and and uh, they they were especially focused on them and you know I don't know why anybody be be against Jews but Catholics no that's a joke <laughs> anyway, it's a joke it's, <laughs> it's a joke it's, uh, yeah, so, so now we have to we have to deprive ourselves of the, of our sense of humor in these days but um they they uh you know let Lincoln uh a lot of them voted for Lincoln. Uh, Lincoln denounced them, and what they thought was that uh, it was a Protestant country, a white country, and that it would be better if it remained so. And, they, and they, you know, they were spread around the country quite widely. They never had a huge percentage of the vote, and they were important because uh, you know, in fact, there isn't anybody quite like that important enough. To make a difference today that i know of but they were important because politics were very narrowly drawn for fifteen or twenty years divided on the slavery question but then ancillary matters that could get four or five or two or three percent of the vote could change things a lot so they were important in american politics
0: and they were uh, they were a, not a passing phase they've never really gone away the idea of nativism and that the IA that white protestants own the country but neither have they ever been very powerful, and I do not believe they make up much, even an infinitesimal percentage of the Trump coalition. I don't believe. I asked Secretary Clinton this when she was on the show last year: "Do you believe there's more than a half million white nationalists in the United States?" And she agreed with me that there isn't. And and that we're a nation of 330 million people. I just don't believe it is that many people. Though one of them can do horrific slaughter, as was done Saturday in Pittsburgh. We ought not to overestimate, because by doing so, we encourage the overestimation of their hatred.
1: That's right. And, uh, you know, I, and not only do I not believe that there are very many people like that, I don't believe there are very many people who believe that there are very many people like that. In fact, many of the people who say that there are a lot of people like that, I don't believe they believe it. I think it's a political tool. Yes. And, yeah,
0: and explain why, by the way, I think it's going to burn their hand. For picking up this tool uh and specifically i i talked this morning about uh, the network to which i contribute msnbc is running chirons, the lower thirds the little the words at the bottom of the of the screen i want to read to you a couple of them trump's role in stoking violence among americans how trump sets the tone for anti-semites you see they have picked up this uh, this white hot slander and i don't think it injures the president I think it burns the people who employ it. What do you think?
1: Well, uh, so there's a really great Holman Jenkins co- column on the wall street journal. I read it this morning. It might've been from last week. Um, and he makes the point that, that, uh, every, you know, that everybody, except for a tiny sliver of the population, uh, all of whom are probably watching MSNBC, who knows, um, think that there's just way too much of this stuff, right? That, that, this politically correct talk, uh, this, you know, Megyn Kelly, whom I have never liked, by the way, but she got fired and if she just left off one expression, what she said was entirely unobjectionable. And somebody at Netflix, too, right? And so there are hordes that go after but hordes, how big are the hordes, right? And And as you say, in a country of 300 million plus, how big are these hordes? And the answer is not very big because most people don't, Think. I mean, if you just walk about in society and look, you, you will see the uh, evidence of the fact that the society is organized around the principle of human equality. And what human equality means is a is person treat it like a person, treat the thing, the person, like a person. So you just see in society today, and it, it wasn't always true with black people, by the way, which is a blight on our history, But you, but it is true today. Just look and see. And then, you know, hey, if you think it's always been a racist country, go study the 1858 election for the Senate in, in Illinois, where Abraham Lincoln won the popular vote on the claim that the black woman may not be our equal in all respects, but in her right to eat the bread that she earns with the sweat of her own face, she is the equal of every person on earth.
0: And I, I want our new audience. We have added two affiliates today, uh, Doctor Larry Arn, who have not heard you before, and therefore will take some getting used to. We have to inoculate them against Larry Arn. Uh News Radio fourteen ten WDOV in Dover, uh, Delaware, and Radio News Radio fourteen fifty WILM in Wilmington, Delaware. So they will not. Delaware was one of the states that Lincoln had to worry about keeping in the Union. Right? Delaware right. was was a slave holding state in at the time of the Civil War, and Lincoln had to work very hard, as he said. Uh, I hope to have God on my side but I must have Kentucky. He he needed these states and so he acted as a political person with regards to everyone in there, but those sorts of politics, that sort of nuance is lost in cable land. I mean it's just it's all you're evil or you're not evil. And by the way, it's not just on the left, it's on the right as well and I think it's destroying politics.
1: Well, I I don't so that, I think that's right. And and you know, there was a lot of extremism in America in the 1850s, goodness sakes. You know, there were plots to kill Lincoln, and one of them succeeded, finally. But but it's also true, though, that those debates between Lincoln and Douglas are very worth reading. And then if you read them fairly, in my, in my argument, if you read them fairly, you will see that the inspiring man won. And the man who spoke for the meaning of America won. And it's just a remarkable event in human history, because... They would get 20,000 people out in the sun sitting for four hours to watch those debates. And, and uh, that means that in America there is this you know basic way that we get along as Americans. and it's the principle that everyone who demeans himself as a good citizen, to quote George Washington, has the rights of a citizen and must and, and that means that the bias is there's a bias, the bias is, when you encounter somebody on the street, treat them like a human being. Uh,
0: the man who spoke for the meaning of America won. I think that is so crude. Would you explain what that means?
1: Well, the, you know, and so uh, you know, all political history, by the way, has tragedy in it. Uh, there's even an argument that it always ends in tragedy. But uh, our tragedy, there are very many, Remembering that it's the most glorious political story at least in modern times and the tragedy is that we, for the first time We founded a country according to the principle that all men are created equal and by all men. They meant women, too And and then we had slavery among us it had been here for a long time Brought here under British rule and so what are we to do about that and in the founding? There is a consensus that that's a really bad thing something's got to be done about that eventually And in more than 60% of the Union, it was quickly abolished. Uh, But then new ideas took root, and this is where the tragedy is, in my opinion. These new ideas said that, no, we're evolutionary figures, and we evolved to be different kinds of things. And by the way, if you look at the thought of modern liberalism, radical modern left-wing liberalism, you will see lots of thinking just like this why we talk about genes all the time now. So uh, it's, like, it's like somehow your genes control your behavior, which means the human soul is not free. Anyway, that gets going. And by 1820, that's a major force in America. And then what are you going to do about it, right? And in the end, what we did about it was we fought our worst war over the question, is the human being a product of his heritage or is it a free soul created by God?
0: And, and we will come back to discuss more of that in a moment. Uh, Dr. Larry Arn, my guest president of Hillsdale College, all things Hillsdale, Hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America. It's, you, Hewitt. it's called the ancient evil for a reason. Anti-Semitism has been around as long as the Jews have been around and is... Everyone knows the Jews have been here since we began writing books and Walker Percy used to say, I will stop believing in God when someone explains the Jews to me.
2: <laughs> I am joined
0: by Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale college. Of course, a great supporter of Israel as I am and mourning those who died in Pittsburgh. Uh, Larry Arne, though, it never takes long for opportunists to seize on any tragedy. And last night, um kevin mccarthy our friend the house gop leader was attacked by people on the left because he had tweeted out before the pittsburgh massacre that george soros michael bloomberg and tom steyer were trying to buy the election which in fact they are trying to do and uh that's fine that's their constitutional right but he was accused of anti-semitism for noting that i guess because those three men are jewish and you know kevin mccarthy i know kevin mccarthy our ambassador to Germany, Rick Grinnell, came on earlier. He knows Kevin McCarthy. What do you make of the charge of anti-Semitism with regards to our friend, Kevin McCarthy?
1: Well, so both of us have known Kevin McCarthy for many decades. But what I didn't know, and I'll bet Kevin McCarthy didn't know, is that those three guys are all Jews. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, be, I'll bet you he didn't. I'll, I'll bet you he didn't. And, and you know, really, because I think in particular, those three guys... You know, like I, I didn't know George Soros was a Jew, but and everybody, everybody knows about him. Right. He's this big liberal guy who gives all this money. Right. But, but the truth is, if you were going to insult them because they were Jews, you would need to be explicit about it because most people wouldn't get the joke.
0: That, that's it. And, and, <laughs> but, but of course, they don't want you to get the. They don't want you to understand Kevin McCarthy. They want to smear Kevin McCarthy. Right. And the smear of anti-Semitism is a deep one. I mean, it, it's along with being anti-black and racist of any sort. But anti-Semitism is the ancient evil. It's been denounced specifically by my Catholic church as being mortal sin. Uh, it's, it's unacceptable. My children are themselves part Jewish. Uh, my, grandma, my wife's great-grandfather started the synagogue in Indianapolis. I, I can't abide it. But it is used as a cudgel. Does it work, Larry
1: Arn? Well, uh, you know, the, I, I, I want to say something about the depth of it. Think think about the Jews. That I giggled when you said that Walker Percy quote, which I had not heard before. Isn't that but,
0: wonderful? Yeah. But the,
1: the 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 Jews are unique in history, and they're unique because they're the first ancient people whose God did not disappear when the polity was defeated, and they kept their God through yep. their exiles. And this God claims to be the one God and the creator of all. And then this God claims to have a concern for everybody on earth. Indeed, the covenant with Abraham is a covenant, and this shall be a blessing to all the peoples on the face of the earth. Now, you won't find anything like that in the ancient religions of which Judaism is one, right? 3000 BC or before. And so that's the first thing. But the second thing is, because they, uh, they, didn't, they didn't disband when their country was overcome, the the promised land was overcome overcome then what they have been is an exile people for a long long time incredibly stubborn in keeping their identity and so that, that places them in lots of other countries and that means the oldest opportunity for resentment of 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 strangers in our midst is of the jews and you know it's just another great fact that about the United States of America that George Washington in 1798 wrote to the Hebrew congregation in Newport Island that it is now no more that we speak of religious toleration as if it were by the indulgence of some that others enjoy their inherent natural rights. And that is probably the first letter written by a chief executive of any country except ancient Israel to some Jews addressing them as equal citizens. That's the American heritage. And there's no reason to believe that Kevin McCarthy does not, does not feel the weight and greatness of that, just like everybody who knows the story and is an American does
0: exactly and on left and right except for these crazed neo-nazis who are an evil and we'll talk about that evil when we come back and then head over to hillsdale.edu for everything hillsdale has to offer including a completely free subscription to imprimus and my friends in delaware you've got to go get imprimus hillsdale.edu stay tuned welcome back america Two hewitt i hope our video feed is on because um, then you would see me talking energetically to um, Larry Arnn, the president of Hillsdale College. We have to get Larry to make a basement tape with me when he's next in uh, inside the Beltway. Dr. Larry Arn is the president of Hillsdale College, Hillsdale.edu. We skipped our Friday Hillsdale Dialogue so we could begin this week of the election sprint all the way through next Tuesday by focusing on the stakes. And I think probably Larry Arnn said it first in early 2015, fundamental things are afoot. And uh, sort of a famous phrase that Larry is now stuck with, because I repeat it all the time. Do you believe in this election, Dr. Arne, that fundamental things are still afoot?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, it, um, you know, the, the reason is the nature of the controversies we have today. Uh, in the Kavanaugh hearings, you know, which were at once shocking and characteristic, Just think how many law professors and law students, uh, people supposed to be learning or trained in rules of evidence and how you make a judgment about guilt or innocence, denounced Brett Kavanaugh just upon the allegation. And, you know, there's a big petition that a whole bunch of law professors signed, and it doesn't say, if he did it, they said, he's out. And so that kind of thing. In other words, there's there's like a mob running. And it's odd because it's uh, led by a bunch of highly educated people who are essentially out of sorts with the nature and meaning of the United States.
0: Well, Let's pause on that for a moment. We do have a separation at the edge, and we have a great condescension in the media about, and I call it the Manhattan Beltway media elite. They are unaware of it, Larry, because they, they swim in it all the time. That almost 100 percent of what they say from both the right and the left sounds indifferent to what 90 percent of Americans think and do every day, which is ignore politics.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, And, you know, but for you, I would be more like them. (laughs) (laughs)
0: But it takes us back to Tocqueville, and I I do want to go there. When Tocqueville toured the country, he was struck at how many associations Americans had to do all sorts of different things. Not all of them, or even most of them, political. They would get together for reasons other than political. But the news, and especially cable, is driving us to be political all the time. And that's not good.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I'm, uh, I'm teaching for the second time these totalitarian novels. And what they all have in common, and this, this runs from Aristotle and Xenophon's account of tyranny through George Orwell and Aldous Huxley and, and Arthur Kersler, modern totalitarian novels, is that people are supposed to, they are compelled to live in a continuous agitation about narrow questions of political policy. And, you know, politics is an extremely interesting thing you get to learn about Lincoln and the Declaration of Independence and Winston Churchill and the Nazis, right? Public policy, you know, which is half of the economy now in the United States, public policy is essentially boring as regard to details. And it can only be important if you can connect it up to large things. Well, that's not what goes on on cable news all day long. It's uh, little stuff all the time, and you're supposed to live your life – in awareness of that all day long. And that, that's what's, it means that you don't have perspective. It's the reason why, like, uh, our college is famous, right? And it's incredible to me how misunderstood it is by its friends as well as its enemies very often. So, like, mid midterm crisis at Hillsdale College means the following. Last week was midterms. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> let me play for you your friend speaker paul ryan was on face the nation yesterday with john dickerson and he said i think a very profound thing and he's a very smart and thoughtful fellow and here's what speaker ryan said to john dickerson cut number 17
3: why do you think there's not much talk about bipartisanship in the in the you know, coverage I, I don't think it sells for you guys for the media uh, you take a look at the bills we pass out of the house about a thousand bills it's been one of the most productive. Sessions of Congress in a generation, and of those roughly thousand bills, uh, over 80 percent of them are bipartisan bills. So we've tackled opioids, we've tackled human trafficking, we've rebuilt the military. All of those are bipartisan, but they don't get reported. It, it doesn't sell. So I honestly think, John, it's the hits and the clicks and it's the ratings chase that's on display in America today. That says when they're fighting each other, that's when you cover it. So if if uh, we accept some portion of responsibility for that. You've seen some Trump, uh, President Trump's rallies. Do those rallies accentuate the things that unite us, the bipartisan achievements, or are they, uh, do they do something very successful in politics, wildly successful, which is so division in the country? Do you see that happening at his rallies? Sometimes, yeah. Uh, Sometimes meaning? Well, not always, but sometimes. I worry about tribal identity politics becoming the new norm of how politics is waged. As conservatives, we always thought this was sort of a left-wing Linsky thing. Unfortunately, the right practices identity politics now as well. It's the day and age, it's technology and everything else. Identity politics, which is now being practiced on both sides of the aisle, is unfortunately working. And I think we, as leaders, we've got to figure out how do we make inclusive aspirational politics strategically valuable
0: again. Now, what do you think of that, Dr. Larry Arn?
1: Uh... That was good. Uh, I might have said about those Trump rallies, which I, you know, I don't watch them. I confess, but I read them from time to time, and about them, I, and you know, the ones I watch, they're usually pretty good. I mean, even very good. But isn't Trump's point, isn't the point toward which he's fighting, that what we Americans have in common is our citizenship, and that divides us in the following way: we Americans agree that a human being has rights, and our country is founded to defend those rights. And to be a citizen of America is the practices and beliefs that stem from that. And it's got nothing to do with color. Now, I think that's what Donald Trump has to say to the world, and says it a lot, and has been saying it, I looked it up before the election, back for decades. And so, if then you say that your enemies are acting bad, and, you know, he says that hard, right? One of the reasons the political political debate is so intense is that now it's a real fight, and Trump does fight like with like in the sense that he denounces people, you know, really clearly. But I don't think in a racist way.
0: And he does not call for violence. What he calls for is victory. He really wants to win the Senate. He really wanted to win Brett Kavanaugh. He really wanted the tax cuts. He really wants to win. Like he said, you'll get sick of winning. But he doesn't call for violence. And the intimation that he does, the idea that chants are somehow car chases or hurling insults are like hurling rocks, that is a vanity of the left and a media conceit that contributes to their narrative.
1: That's right. And uh, that's right. I mean, one of Lincoln's great early speeches was – you know, against mob rule, the Young Man's Lyceum Address, and, and he just made the point that there had been some lynchings, and they weren't all of black people, and, uh, although there were some. And so he, he makes the point that if you stream out into the street and act like that and do violence on somebody without due process of law, then freedom itself is endangered. And, you know, there is, you know, we don't, they don't play on the news, the crazy things that so many say and, uh, you know, and the famous ones from presidential candidates are Hillary and her deplorables, and Barack Obama and their guns and their God and whatever else it is. That
0: let me let us. me play for you, George Stephanopoulos. And, and remember that this was the communications director at the time that President Clinton blamed Rush Limbaugh for the Oklahoma City bombing. All right. Just remember, this is the same fella, And I like George, but this is what he said yesterday. Cut number 10.
2: On Monday, the first potential letter bomb found at the home of George Soros, the billionaire activist who's been a frequent target of President Trump. By weeks end, more than a dozen more intercepted, apparently constructed in this van plastered with partisan stickers by this man, a longtime criminal and staunch supporter of President Trump. On Wednesday, an armed man tried to enter the predominantly black First Baptist Church in Jeffersontown, Kentucky. Unable to break in, he walked to a Kroger's down the street and shot two black victims to death, passing right by a white man in the parking lot saying, whites don't kill whites. Then came Saturday, the Sabbath worship at the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh shattered by semi-automatic gunfire and the chilling scream, all Jews must die. This morning, our hearts ache for the victims as we absorb the shock. But how surprised should we be? This is at least the fourth mass killing in America using an AR-15 since the Las Vegas massacre just over a year ago. The third mass shooting in a house of worship in the last three years. Across social media, hate speech and anti-Semitism are rampant and on the rise. All against the backdrop of the ugliest political climate in modern times, at the center, An unapologetically incendiary president, untrammeled by traditional norms of civility. All right, now stop right there. So you see what he
0: did there, uh, Larry Arnn, and I think that's appalling. I wrote a, I have a column in the Washington Post today that that is appalling. It is the old playbook from the Oklahoma City massacre aftermath, where the Democrats blame Republicans for violence, and it is repulsive and disgusting.
1: And constant i mean it's uh you know who it, this is an old feature of politics in very divided times, and it's a great idea to steer clear of it as much as one can so who set fire to the Reichstag in Germany in nineteen thirty six was it uh, after Hitler had become the Chancellor maybe it was earlier than that and uh the next thing you know they're passing the the uh, Uh, anti-jewish legislation you got to wear you know your movements are controlled and you got to wear a yellow star on your thing and the point is probably the nazis did that and uh you know to hitler himself and his friends and they when when there's deep division then there's a great opportunity to you know to uh, accuse your enemies of violence and you know stephanopoulos is Argument was not very good when he got to the end where he said at the center of it, right? Well, Donald Trump is at the center of this only in the sense that he's the one that got elected president of the United States. But the campaign in which he ran, Lord, what was said about him, right? Wasn't he called a Nazi over and over? Isn't he today constantly called that? He's only in the center in the sense that he won the election, and so that doesn't make him more culpable, uh, le- less one hopes. And remember, the theme, we always forget this, right? The theme of, of Trump's first inaugural address is, in our common citizenship, we will find our love for each other. Now, if that theme is bad, then Trump is bad. But so is Thomas Jefferson, and so is Abraham Lincoln.
0: Well said. I'll be right back. One more segment with Dr. Larry Arn, President of Hillsdale College, coming up after the break. Hillsdale.edu. Hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, American Hugh Hewitt. We are eight days from the election, and Dr. Larry Arn is my guest, as he will be again on Friday. He's President of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale are collected at Hillsdale.edu. All of my previous Hillsdale dialogues are found at Hugh for Hillsdale.com. You can sign up for the weekly, uh, the monthly speech digest in Prime is completely free at hillsdale.edu and watch the great courses on the Constitution and Western Civilization. Dr. Arn, we're eight days out. Uh, Martha McSally is ahead in Arizona, where she's running for Senate against a radical leftist, Kirsten Cinema. Dean Heller is ahead in Nevada. He wasn't supposed to have a prayer. Marsha Blackburn has run away with it in Tennessee, though she'll run through the wire. Congressman Kevin Kramer is going to beat. Democrat Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota. Attorney General Missouri Josh Hawley is going to beat Claire McCaskill in Missouri. Mike Braun is going to beat Joe Donnelly, who voted against Kavanaugh in Indiana. Rick Scott is tied. That is a dogfight down in Florida. Matt Rosendale in Montana is closing in on John Tester, who voted against Kavanaugh. John James in your own state. Um, the amazing West Point graduate Apache attack helicopter flying African American MBA from Detroit is gaining on Debbie Stabenow and Bob Huggin, in New Jersey is, is gaining on the simply unacceptable as a moral issue, Bob Menendez. What do you read? And that is sort of like a sweeping rejection of the democratic's argument that all these Republicans are
1: surging. uh, So first of all, the headwind for, you know, the party. If if uh, the, the Republicans control the House and the Senate and the presidency, the typical number of seats lost in such a campaign is 25. 25 would flip the House. Uh, the in 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 uh, according to Gallup, in a in a year in which the president is unpopular, and see, Trump is unpopular. That means he's about 50 percent, and nobody gets much better than that these days, right? but then the average would be 37%. Nobody's predicting that right now. Now, the election may well break one way or the other. They often do, but for the last two weeks, as you point out, the Republicans have been strengthening, and isn't that odd? Shouldn't there be? That's, I think that's one of the reasons why there's furious uh, reactions from the far left. From their point of view, this man was unacceptable, and everybody should see it by now. But you know... Uh, Rick Scott's very close in Florida, and the news this morning is Trump is on his way back down there again. Yep. And that means Rick Scott wants him to come. So, yeah, I think that uh, it is a dogfight, this election. I don't think we know how it's going to go. And uh, I think it matters very much, which is a question you were asking, because if you, since any weapon can, you know, Paul Ryan pointed out, that 80% of the bills they passed, and they passed a lot of them, were bipartisan bills. Well, that, that, thank God for that. And it's, it's the same phenomenon as the fact that most Supreme Court cases are decided by overwhelming majorities, most of them nine to nothing, I think, right? But, but at, at, in all of the difficult cases, in all of the cases that raise questions of which, what is the direction of the country, we are deeply divided and the House will be used as a weapon to fight the administration if the Democrats take it. And then, if you want that, then that's what you should vote for.
0: And I, I got to go back to the and close on this, what you just said. The media is deeply invested in the idea that President Trump is bad and should be rejected. Therefore, if he isn't repudiated, his party isn't repudiated in either House, but certainly if it isn't repudiated in both of them the media will be face-to-face with the fact that they are not representative of the country they think they are representative of, and they are not leading uh, the population in the way they think they are entitled to lead. And I think that is a source. That is the bottom line, is that people feel toppled from their purchase of power.
1: Yeah, and that's been a problem with Trump for a long time. But that's not a particular Trump problem. Just remember, it became, since the 1960s, and not before, by the way, since the birth of centralized bureaucratic administrative rule, a different kind of rule from constitutional, the path to political prosperity has to be the candidate of change and to run against the establishment in Washington. And they have become increasingly unpopular with time, and they've reached a peak now, right? And and we we don't we don't just say the Congress is unpopular, the bureaucracy is unpopular, and the executive branch is unpopular, and the media is unpopular. Everything in Washington D.C. is unpopular, and and what Trump did was he managed to marshal that into a presidential campaign. And if you look at the campaigns of the Republicans who succeeded Reagan, uh, they they all ran as enemies of the establishment, although the two named Bush are the only ones who won after Reagan and until Trump, they both made the administrative state larger and more powerful in various ways. It's a very difficult trend to resist. And so this fight is, as you like to quote me saying, fundamental. The question is, how are we going to be governed as a people? And I prefer the constitutional way, which, by the way, will be imperfect and present many problems rather than this way that promises to fix every problem by making rules at the center.
0: Well said, Dr. Larry Arn of Hillsdale College. Thank you, hillsdale.edu.